Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're taking a deep dive into the Harry Potter fanfic Transfigurations by Resonant. Welcome to episode 65, Transfigurations. I'm Alex, and I'm the Charms Professor. I'm Freya, and I am the Transfigurations Professor. I'm Macy, and I'm the Professor of Arithmancy. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're going to be talking about a wonderful piece of fanfiction. We're doing a deep dive today, just a single tent pole, dear listeners. We're also going to be talking about some stuff and things which may complicate the liking of the canon uh but we'll get into that in just a second i'm sure we're all fucking pissed about it um Mm. before we get into all that what are we reading fellow servants i have two australian recommendations for people today one of which is a thriller by the name of green light by benjamin stevenson i don't read a lot of thrillers but uh, benjamin is a friend of mine and i picked up his book it's really good the hook i think is particularly good it's about a man who is making a true crime sort of podcast slash documentary, one of those ones mm. where they look at a crime and say, is the person who has been arrested for this really guilty in the serial mode? And he, just as he is on the verge of releasing the final and culmination episode, he goes back to the site of the crime and discovers what he thinks is a piece of evidence that proves his theory wrong. And so he mm. decides to cover it up. And it's about what happens from there. <laughs> It was great. It's very, very Australian, which I always appreciate in my media. It's set in a small Australian country town and in Sydney. So if you are at all a thriller reader, I would definitely recommend looking at that one. I also watched season two of The Letdown, which is an Australian comedy series about early parenthood. The first season is about a woman and her husband who have just had their first child. And it follows her and some of the other mothers in her mother's group, all of whom have different lives and different situations. It's very no-nonsense and funny and bleak. And here is all the gory details of having a tiny baby. And I was really looking forward to season two, which has just aired. It's definitely on Australian Netflix. I think it might be on at least European Netflix. I'm not sure about the US, but if you can get your hands on it, it's a really charming and very funny show. I also have been looking into some queer black authors and queer black stories for this Pride. Um, I'm going to recommend Pink Slip by Katrina Jackson. This is a romance novel. If, like me, you enjoy Mr. and Mrs. Smith and, like, the light-hearted spy hijinks, and if, like me, you enjoy threesome romances, this is about a married spy couple who hire a personal assistant and then fall in love with her, and then they all have to go undercover at a sex retreat for polytriads, (laughs) which is just the most beautiful and outrageously shameless use of tropes. It's very sexy. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. And I think it's the first in the series. It's very me. It's so you, Freya. (laughs) And finally, all right. So we all agree that Kaya Shanti Wilson is a genius who is blessing us with his presence on earth. Yep, absolutely. Correct, yes. So I read his novella, A Taste of Honey, 
quite yes, some time ago, so but it has taken me a very long time to get to his other novella, The Sorcerer of the Wildeeps. But I did read that recently, and it was just as good, just as infuriatingly wonderful in terms of <laughs> how much world building and language he can stuff into a novella form. This one is about a demigod who is serving as a mercenary, protecting um, you know caravans that are traveling, and his relationship with the other demigod in the company, who is the captain, who is just referred to as the captain. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's difficult to describe it as most of Kayashanti Wilson stuff is, but absolutely amazing. I put it down. I had a bit of a sulk. I looked up whether there's any new novellas coming out <laughs> from him, <laughs> which there aren't yet, but I hope there will be. Hopefully, Hopefully. yes. So Freya has, as usual, been out-reading all of us, but I have actually read some books this week, um, this past two weeks even. And the book that I read most recently um, was Serafina by Rachel Hartman. Um, And that was great fun. It has really weird, interesting dragon society. It's about kind of a sort of Russian Slavic royal court, medieval fantasy court, except that 20 odd years ago, they struck a treaty with the dragons and now dragons sort of live amongst them but sort of everyone's prejudiced against them and the main character is half dragon which is totally not meant to be a thing i think i had that on my library holds list because someone told me the sequel is polly Hmm. i think that i have the sequel as well was like you should definitely read this but it's book three so start Uh, the beginning yep um so that's where i'm starting um, and I accidentally read more than 200,000 words of um, crossover scum villain mm. untamed fanfic. <laughs> well done, Macy. That a girl, Macy. In which a, like, ace-ish Yang Cheng um, marries Lu Chingge. Oh, I keep scrolling past that one on AO3. How it's is it? It's real good. It's real good. Um, I read about 200,000 words in 24 hours. So it's good. Wow. And <laughs> as well as that, um, we are recording this episode on Juneteenth, on the 19th of June, which is a holiday celebrating the announcement of the abolition of slavery to the last slaves in America who hadn't heard it yet, which happened about two years after the actual abolition, because it took a while for the news to reach Texas. Um, And so my company declared that the day was not going to be a holiday, but they were going to tell us all to stop working on our work projects and spend our time kind of reading and learning about the black history of America. So I have also read a nonfiction today called The Black Calhouns by Gail Lumet Buckley, which is a great family history of, by the daughter of the actress Lena Horne that follows five or six generations of a family from abolition through to modern day. And it's kind of a very intimate look at a lot of those historical moments that we hear about um, that can be a little bit impersonal. Um, but when you're following mothers and daughters and fathers and wives and husbands through the years it's a very intimate portrait so i found that to be really good um and also reading a little bit of the 1619 project and i also really enjoyed a panel from TorCon last weekend on world building that we can link in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to go watch that wonderful 
Yes, with the uh, Black Lives Matter protests that have been happening the last uh, couple weeks, how long has it been at this point? I've lost all sense of time being in quarantine. 70 years. Um, 17,000 years. Uh, or possibly two to years. three weeks. Four, 400 years, actually, yes. Um, you're not wrong, Macy. Uh, I have sort of been recalibrating my uh, non-Serpent Cast homework reading list for more Black authors and... Uh, trying to uh, sort of brush up my my uh, reading list on that side of things. Uh, so I have recently read Kaya Shante Wilson, who is, yes, a brilliant gift to all of humanity. <laughs> um, his novella, The Devil in America, which is really incredible and it's brutal and trigger warnings for everything and you should definitely read it uh it's published with tor.com uh it's about a little girl just after the civil war who has magical powers and it's about the cost of magic and senseless violence and um it has these wonderful, it's woven through, the story is woven through with asides from, I'm not sure if this is a fictional father or Kaya Shante Wilson's actual father commenting on the book. Either way, it's really cool. So it has this kind of conversation between the story and like a modern perspective on what happened, which is wonderful. Um, I also, the last, uh, yesterday, HBO announced that they were putting their series Watchmen available for free. So I started watching that and about and got about halfway through it. Um, and that one is also about uh, structural racism and the revival of what's basically the Ku Klux Klan in a fictional version of 2019 and alternate alternate history, which is set in the same world as the rest of the Watchmen comic mm -hmm. books, I believe. Yeah. I'm not too familiar with the canon. It's like 30 years on. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I also just today started reading to Tochi Onyabuchi's uh, wonderful novella, Riot Baby. Uh, he was on Trevor Noah to talk about this novella, and we're very proud of him. Tochi is also a great gift to humanity, and I don't know if you guys have read <laughs> any of his works, but like every time I read something that he's written, I have to like swoon a little bit and be like, wow, I have a huge writer crush on Tochi. Wow. Yeah, I read, uh, I read Riot Baby a few weeks ago. and How was it? Was it good? I talked about it on the podcast, Alex. <laughs> well, I don't remember that. It was two weeks ago. Can you? Re that was like forty thousand um, years ago. It, it was ago. amazing, and it was interesting what you told about the devil in America because Riot Baby is also about a young girl with magic and the cost yeah. of using that magic in a world which is structurally structurally set up to disempower you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I also re really quickly just want to recommend recommend a couple essays that Tochi has written for Tor.com. Uh, White Bears in Sugarland, Juneteenth, Cages, and Afrofuturism. And I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, The Duty of the Black Writer During Times of American Unrest. These are both amazing, amazing e essays that gave me tons to think about. And you should go read them. Um, cool. And also, I had to turn my brain off a little bit yesterday so i watched uh the new season of queer eye and good omens for the 12th time <laughs> how did you watch all of that yesterday wow well okay Watchmen. good omens good omens was the day before yesterday and queer eye was the day before yesterday and yes. yesterday okay no i remember now it's knitting fugue it was knitting fugue yeah knitting exactly fugue. okay okay and, and i hurt it, I, I knit so much that i hurt my arm alex <laughs> alex don't be me I know. I'm not. I'm, Don't fuck up. Why your not? You're so. You're such an inspiration, though, Macy. I would love oh, to God. be you. <laughs> oh, God. Don't fuck up your wrists. 
Oh, Darling right. listeners, don't fuck up your wrist don't either. We like wrist. you too. Yes, don't do it. Oh, it's, th- it's very odd, like, remembering that most of the world is still stuck indoors because we are mostly back to normal where I am now. You know, like, well, everybody America's stand... Well, mostly back to normal, but it's not a good thing. <laughs> everybody stand two metres apart kind of thing, but yeah. the you know our local health department has been very slowly stepping things up and opening things, and we haven't had any cases in my territory for probably almost a month whereas i feel like a fish in an aquarium (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) macy do you have any news (laughs) i do have some good news i've got a couple of news i just ripped out my headphones so please excuse the stuttering um so silk and steel is ambling its gentle way forwards as it is wont to do full of lesbians because i guess we amble some sapphics too, some bi, bi ladies, some, some trans yeah. ladies. Uh, uh, anyway. Listeners, if you don't remember, this is the amazing anthology that Macy has been working on. We are so excited about it. Yes, the Stabbing Queer Ladies anthology, yes. which is going to have pins for all of the Kickstarter backers. <gasps> and we have just signed our contract with amazing collaborator Karen Cunningham, who was behind the Queer and Cute floral pins, if you remember the circular oh, yeah. ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been talking with her about that and also she has a kickstarter that is live right now ta-da when we launch this episode not when i'm saying it i'm lying right, right now when i say this <laughs> we have we have temporal troubles sometimes we <laughs> dislodged but it is full of roses and skulls and my chemical romance lyrics those you love all of those of. things <laughs> it's a my chemical romance fan merch line and it looks amazing and you have to all go back it so that the higher tiers get funded because i want incredible. everything incredible also incredible. i finished my book yay we're very macy. proud of you yay I macy my book. they kissed they kissed in they, the last 500 kiss. words of the book <laughs> It took 125,000 words, but the fucking idiots They fucking guessed. You you did it. You made the lesbians kiss. Oh, this epic. You made them make out. <laughs> Shall we so now proud. transition to yes, being we're angry to, about some other stuff? We're going to go on a deep dive, as uh, Draco certainly did into Harry. Oh, please. Thank you, Macy. <laughs> okay. What a Great. wonderful Take segue. Take us away from this nonsense. <laughs> All right. Am I wrong? <laughs> This episode, this is going to serve as a little bit of an intro and disclaimer. So this episode is a deep dive into the fanfic Transfigurations by Resonant, which is a Harry Potter fanfic from the year 2003, Mm. which is apparently just before Order of the Phoenix came out. So definitely a mid-canon. Also half our lives ago. Half our lives ago. Half our lives ago. (laughs) Jesus Christ. All right. So dear listeners, as mentioned, we are recording this on Juneteenth or June 20th, where I am. And sometime in the last week or so, or possibly 700 years ago, because time has no meaning. Yeah. The unbearable turfness of J.K. Rowling became the hill on which J.K. Rowling has decided to die. Yep. Real hard. Real hard. Yep. So we will completely understand if for your own personal comfort levels and mental health, you decide that any Harry Potter related episodes or discussion is not something that you want to go through at the moment. And if you want to just give this episode a skip, come back later. That is absolutely fine. Yep. We had a talk about it. We had decided to do this deep dive episode quite some time ago and we decided to go ahead with it. For me personally, Harry Potter, the fandom and the fanfic were an incredibly important part of my coming to terms with my own 
sexuality and my own queerness and an immense source of joy for me as a young queer person in fandom. And I think over the years, the amount of importance and again, joy that I have gotten out of it has been much, much more from the fandom than from the actual canon itself. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to erase that part of my personal history and I don't want to uh, you know, allow that to be taken away from me and my personal story. And so mm-hmm. I think everyone will find their own comfort level when it comes to where they are and how much of it they want to revisit. For me, I think reclaiming the parts of it that brought me joy and the parts of fandom that celebrate queer joy in particular uh, is still something that I'm happy to keep doing um, and keep finding enjoyment in. Yes, yes. And I think that also, like, it's a way of honoring all the fanfic writers as well, because, like, they, fanfic writers take a lot of time and effort and love and, like, put a lot of themselves into their work. And to let one nasty person ruin the fun that everyone else is having is kind of a shitty thing. Like, these are other people who, like, the amount of stuff that has been written about the Harry Potter universe, at this point, J.K. Rowling has probably written less than 1% of it. (laughs) That's true. Right? Yeah. So the vast majority of it doesn't even belong to her anymore. But, and I do want to say, as an English queer person who grew up pretty much exactly as the Harry Potter books were coming out, they were exactly my age, There's a lot that this fic does that reflects that experience of not being allowed to be blatantly queer in school Mm. and coming to terms with that after the fact and coming to the terms with coming to terms not only with me being queer after the fact, but with the fact that most of the people I went to school with were also queer, but we were all too scared to say anything to each other. And Mm. particularly in the north of England, I was not that far from Edinburgh. Um, it was quite, I wouldn't say it was a conservative area, but it was certainly not all right to be queer. And so in this fanfic where Harry and Draco come to terms with their sexuality after leaving, after the war, and come back together and find each other and find that they are queer now, and that's a surprise to each of them, that certainly felt very reflective of my life and so it doesn't surprise me that jk rowling herself might be fostering that kind of environment that my school teachers fostered Mm. but that we can come together we people who inhabit that world and say no the authority figures don't get to squash what's inside of me uh that is going to come out that truth is going to come out and i am going to own it despite you and you don't get to say it wasn't there underneath Mm. Yes. And, and the value of fan fiction as transformative work is also in interrogation. And mm-hmm. it always has been a key part of fandom and fan fiction, especially, and especially of this canon where we can say, yes, now we know these things about the creator. We can look with a critical eye on the canon as it has been provided to us. And then we can make our own transformations. And for this story in particular, so to give you a little bit of a, <clears throat> yes, a summary. Yes, what the story is. Let's yes, talk this about is the particular story. story. Um, <laughs> is one of a very common Harry Draco trope, which is they both go back to Hogwarts after school and after the war, um, sometimes in roles as teachers and sometimes not. In this, they are both professors at the newly reopened Hogwarts. 
Uh, and it's a story about, obviously, them falling in love, but it's also a story about Harry, who has not great memories of the war and has been spending a couple of years in America, helping to set up the first Central American School of Magic, which is called the Coven of the Americas. And so he's come back to England to take up this position at Hogwarts, and it's about him finding his place again among a friendship group and a society that has changed and shifted in terms of who people are and how they relate to each other. And it's also a, a sort of adventure mystery story when it turns out that Hogwarts has been magically mined. It has lots of curses set up all over the place and about how the people working there have to go about trying to make it again a safe place. So if we're going to get hugely symbolic for a moment. This is a story about returning as adults to a thing that you loved as a child and trying to extract safety and joy from something that has God. become unsafe and tainted. Jesus Christ, Freya, well done. Yeah. <laughs> and it is cool. Transfigurations. And if we think about transformative works as transfigurative works, ah. then I think this is actually quite a good story to be digging down would, into in this uh, time I, of... J.K. Rowling is a fucking turf. I would love for us to one day be a little bit less prescient with the <laughs> episode subjects that we plan like four to five months in advance. That'd be great. Yeah, darling <laughs> listeners, literally March. We picked this episode for episode 65 precisely down to the day we would record it yep. in March. Yep. <sighs> yep. Yeah. All right. Anyway. <laughs> so this was this is a very old favorite of mine. It was one of the earliest picks that I read and I still love it to pieces. Uh, had you guys read it before? No. Yes. I, not. I think. I think I had read it. So it's just a very old fic. So it's long enough ago that I can't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure that I did. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, there's enough pieces of it that really stick in the mind, um, particularly some of the magic system stuff and the calligromancy. Mm. Is that how it the was calligromancy? Pronounced? Yeah, the calligromancy was very, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I I will talk about this more later, but I have reread this a few times over the years. But rereading it now for the first time in probably at least five years, it was incredibly obvious to me how much of the magic world building in this has gotten its claws into my subconscious and is now mm-hmm. coming out in some of the stuff that I'm writing, but I can talk more about that later. What? Um, yeah. That might be the first thing that I think that this ordering mm. story actually probably goes better to talk about the magic systems, the world building yep. here, and then talk about who lived and who died with the grief bit. Yep, I agree. Yep, that makes sense to me. So feel free to go ahead and talk about your magic systems, Freya. <laughs> uh, well, there's, there's a lot of different parts in this story that we can talk about when it comes to how it expands the world building Mm -hmm. and how it expands magic systems. I think the one that was biggest for me was the focus on consent Hmm. and the idea of casting spells and defining people. So they talk about magic ritual as a way of defining people and learning to draw on power once you have defined someone by a ritual they took place in. And this then, is very your latest book. It is way. very yeah. my latest book. I was really yeah. thinking like, oh God, Huge I just like <laughs> took this, my subconscious just that. took the fic, upended it like a pepper shaker over my <laughs> latest thing. It was like, let's just get all of this good stuff in there. Uh, it's also but, kind of witch mark, right? I remember that was a theme there as well with like drawing power yeah. from other people. Mm, and, with, and the extent to which consent is necessary or important. And yeah. I mean, consent was a big theme in this, even in 
um, you know, the sexual relationship and the romantic relationship and right. everything that happened between people was quite explicitly sure. consented to. But the idea of naming and defining someone and also, there's, as you said, the calligramacy having how you represent a, a person's name in a magical script. God. But even this, I mean, I have to keep coming back to um, trans women are women, trans men are men, um, and the ways that J.K. Rowling denies consent uh, to people to define themselves as, Mm. like, the way that being a TERF is fundamentally in opposition to the types of themes that we pull out of it in stories like this that were kind of missing from the canon, Mm. right? Because, like, here, like, you, you define yourself right you write a symbol for your name that says who you are Mm. um and this is definitely a canon where you would not be able to identify with the wrong gender someone because they couldn't consent to that yeah and it's interesting because the they bake into it that part of the definition of who you are uh for magical purposes if someone is trying to define a group of people in hogwarts is the sorting hat And the sorting Mm -hmm. hat is about something else telling you something about yourself, but you can argue with it. Right. Mm. That is part of the canon as well. It gets put on your head and it says, "Mm, you you would fit well in this group. And you can say, actually, no. Well, here's the thing. You can only argue with it if you're a cocky little shit who tries it. Hmm. Yeah. Which, like, you can only argue with it if you feel like your arguments will be respected. Right. If you are privileged enough that you have reason to believe that you can put your demands on the world. If Harry hadn't sat there and if Harry had sat there and just sort of thought, oh, okay, I guess. If Harry had been used to doing what he was told by authority figures Mm -hmm. or used to being ignored. If really, if he hadn't gotten the bias against Slytherin, literally like within the last week. Right? Mm. He would have heard, like, you belong in Slytherin, and he would have gone, oh, okay, if you say so, and gone off to Slytherin. But because he had two or three influences saying, oh, Slytherin's really bad, he sat down and went, anything but Slytherin. Which is yet more evidence that (laughs) so much that was important about Harry Potter was shaped by Draco Malfoy. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why it's a good fucking pairing. Yes. It's a good pairing. But talk more about the calligramancy, because I think (laughs) that was one of the best parts of the magic system in this novel novel yeah i loved the like little like knotted up magic that was kind of fractally collapsed on itself and the ways that if you fucked up and triggered a curse it could trigger other curses that was great (laughs) when i was reading this i kept thinking macy probably loves this because it's basically computer programming i was thinking the same thing i'm like it's code It has if then clauses. If oh, then. You can make it delete itself by looping it up. That's formal mathematics first. Okay, sure. Let's quibble. Um, <laughs> it's Mandelbrot all the way down. It's, it's basically computer programming, mm-hmm. and and I thought it was neat. But we should ask our American how they feel about some of this stuff because it's uh, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I had some feelings about seeing American magic in this this fit. Because on one hand, I think that the idea of there being lots of different ways of doing magic is a great thing, right? Like, there's not one universal way to do it. And if there were, having it be based on, like, Latin words of power is, like, some white supremacist bullshit. Um and unnecessarily racist. Uh, But on the other hand, like 
so Harry goes to America and make friends, makes friends with a bunch of American wizards, um, some of whom are implied to have magical practices with roots in voodoo, um, and uh, another magician who is of Native American descent. Uh, and then he, he learns things from them and takes them back to England and then uses those things that he learns to help solve the big mystery and undo the evil computer programming. And so like, I, I have complicated feelings about it because it does feel a little bit like cultural appropriation on some level because you have this English person going to the new world taking some stuff and then taking it back out of its context and then they kind of like take it apart to find like what piece of it is the useful piece and then use that useful piece to do something else so it doesn't get used in its original context either it gets sort of deconstructed so i think that could have been handled a little bit better but on the other hand it was 2003 and we were not nearly as educated about such things back in those days mm. so it's an interesting look back on like how the conversation has developed mm. in the 20 year nearly 20 years since then and it's presented in a way of harry going there and having the people there sharing their culture with him and saying yeah this is, this is how we use magic here's how it's different to what you do and right <clears throat> almost i think it, it works as a way of opening um, a mind that has been raised in a closed system to the possibility mm. of other ways of thought, like learning another language and then coming back mm. and saying, here, here is how, what we have grown up with. Um, here's the ways in which it is narrow. Here are the way, the tricks that we have fallen into because we're not thinking about it in this other way. And I think some of it is also just, um, if you're doing a particular kind of Harry Potter fic, you have to wrestle with the consequences of how narrow minded the original world building was. Mm hmm. Um, because it's super narrow to say there is one way of doing magic that works and it is Latin. Like, that's very European-centric, um, yeah. Roman-centric. But at the same time, JK didn't give any good foundations for how to develop different magics. For example, what were the previously enslaved populations of America developing uh, from their original traditions? Um mm -hmm. So I don't know that there's a good way mm. to do this. And I've been thinking about this because it's coming up in the second mm, book in, in my trilogy yep. because one of the characters is an English magician who went to America for a while and is now coming back to England and yep. who learned some things in different cultural traditions. And so I'm having to think about on the larger scale beyond just what I've set up in book one, how does magic work in other cultures and in other countries um, and how would that interact with somebody who was trained within the you know English quotation marks system well Very and it's really wrestling does. with like colonized countries and what is the culture of a colonized country um, and how do you develop that in a branch of culture that doesn't exist in our world namely mm -hmm. magic how much of that do you give to the native populations the original indigenous populations of that country how much do you extrapolate from a bastardized version of the colonizers culture, right? Um, and yeah. this fic has kind of said, we're not going to wrestle with whatever fuckery the pilgrims did. We're just going to look at what came from the Native American tradition and the voodoo tradition. Mm. But yeah, yeah, but it's tricky. So yeah, 
complicated, complicated issue. I don't think there is one clear answer. It's something that you have to kind of take on a case-by-case basis and think about and <laughs> wrestle with and sit with. Hmm. Yeah. But even within the English tradition and the tradition of magic as presented in the canon, this fic does do some interesting things. And even mm-hmm. as an offhand, one of the ones that I really liked was the idea of a native speaker of magic speaking yes, with a, a slightly different accent and using elisons and contractions. So when mm-hmm. Harry and Draco are spelling simultaneously to try and remove these curses and minds, they'll say the same spell, but you'll see it with an apostrophe in one of them to show that Draco, who grew up around magic and with these magic spells as part of his language, is running them together and saying them in a contracted way, which I thought was just a really delightful little detail that isn't dug into, yes. but it makes the world richer. Right. Yep. It's super cool. Because, like, I can pronounce Latin because I learned it to sing it. But can mm-hmm. I speak it? Can I pull it apart and put it together? Can I write poems in Latin? I cannot. I can sing you them. And that's what Harry would have. He can perform them. Right. But, but he can't speak make it. them. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It's super cool. So but contrasting we... contrasting uh, Harry and Draco's magic seems like a good transition into contrasting Harry and Draco and talking about the ship itself. Shall we <laughs> move on to that? <laughs> so it's such a foundational ship for a lot of people our oh, age, yeah. I think. It's oh, yeah. our Kirk Spock. Mm. I think I would agree with that. Yep. I think I would agree. You know? Um, and it's fascinating to me the degree to which that was true before the books were even finished. And yeah. some of the later books, I'm particularly thinking about the moment in the bathroom with Sector Sempra where Harry cuts Draco open, that's canon, mm-hmm. are really... The, the books are very clear that there is an intimate connection between Harry and Draco. Yeah. There is mm-hmm. some sort of fated connection. They have, they have an impact on each other's lives. Yeah. When nobody else can touch the other one, they will touch each other, even if it's by injuring them badly. <laughs> will they? Will they touch each other, Macy? Macy! <laughs> Do you really want to hurt me? It's a kind of soulmates thing. I mean, they're set up from page one as each other's foils. Or mm, yeah. rather, Draco is set up as Harry's foil and is this person who is born into privilege rather than having grown up in a cupboard under the stairs uh, and who is the bully figure in a boarding school story. But as we get into the later books, does become more more complicated in the role that he plays in Harry's story and Harry's life. But this fic being one of these (laughs) very foundational Harry Draco thing, uh, Harry Draco stories has a lot of tropes in it that became foundational to this ship. And one of my favourites is gay sardonic fashion plate Draco, because in all of his manifestations, Draco is always very well dressed. And I think it's (laughs) a fairly common trope in this pairing for when they meet again as adults or whatever, for Draco to be the one who is like, yes, I am gay. I have come to terms. I am yeah. so very gay. gay. I me may or may not have some hair. trauma around my parents wanting to me to continue the pure bloodline and being gay, but me, gay, that's how it goes. And yeah. whether Harry is gay or bisexual and whether he knows about it or whether he doesn't <laughs> yet know about it tends to vary, but gay fashion plate Draco, he's fairly constant. That's 
Yep. Wonderful. Yep. There's I love also the, the the good good trope of the Hogwarts teacher return. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because everyone is destined to become a Hogwarts teacher because there are no other careers in the wizarding world. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it also is a way to criticize and examine the roles of the teachers in the Mm. books and to say, well, actually, a lot of these people have probably never done any pedagogy teaching in their entire fucking lives and should not have been trusted (laughs) with groups of impressionable children. (laughs) Let's look at how teaching could and should actually work. I have one in fic criticism of the fic. Why the fuck did you not just rent a barn in Glasgow or something? Why were you going back to this haunted fucking castle where students keep dying? Yeah, like if the whole castle is mined, why not just move where you are are teaching the children? Like... Like, they, they shut down Hogwarts for five years to recover from the war, right? And, like, no students get taught except by private tutors within that time. So, like, why are you not finding some other interim solution? Well, I think because the thing was that they reasons, thought... That's why. <laughs> oh, the impression that I got was that they had done a lot of making it as safe as it possible, like, minimally safe. Yeah. And, and, okay, now we can have children back in it, but we just have to say, you can't go in this wing, which, as we all know, works so well for children. But, I mean, <laughs> after you have three children with neurodegeneracy in the hospital wing uncurably, I think that there's some losses that need to be assessed. Yeah, are, yeah. You, are you informing anyone's parents about this? <laughs> just, like, yeah. just like, what the fuck? Wizarding World, do you, like... What what is happening? But, um, hey, but here, we were we talking need... about Harry Draco tropes. Yes, people right. back on task. Yeah, but I mean, but Hogwarts as a place and as a character in itself is mm-hmm. so important to both of them. It's about the catharsis. Them. It's about the catharsis. <laughs> You've got to bring them back to Hogwarts so that they can look back on Symbol. their childhood and say, "Wow, actually, we were kind of obsessed with each other. Let's examine that quite closely <laughs> with our dicks." Yes. Yeah. 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 God. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Love yeah. that for them. There was there's this thing throughout canon, in fact, that as a reader you can really tell that Draco just wants Harry to pay attention to him. Oh yeah. That's oh, all absolutely. he wants. All the time. And Harry's just like literally Why is from he page being a one. dick. <laughs> literally from the first time that you meet Draco. Yeah. That is Draco's one hundred percent jam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so we have another trope here, which is Harry is kind of an oblivious dick, actually. Actually, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is true of Harry in the books, and is often true of Harry in this kind of fanfic. And in this one is particularly that because he's been away for so long, he comes back to the world that he left and expects it to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. He expects that people's relationships will have stayed static, that it's unfathomable that Draco Malfoy could have made friends with Hermione and have gone <laughs> and lived as a, and it's adorable. Gone and lived yes. as a muggle with Hermione's parents in the yep. Wizard Protection Program, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> that was wonderful. That was wonderful. What I really loved was the magical synergy thing which someone has put down here with the parentheses open parentheses wow some symbolism close parentheses yes that was me (laughs) (laughs) well done Freya I completely agree uh just like like look how well you work together on this 
totally unsexual thing. Mm. Think of how well you could work together in other contexts. And you remember what was the what was the fic that I made you two read that ended up being fifty percent wanking by weight? Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh shit, what was Lumos? that? Lumos? Was it Lumos? It was Lumos. I think it was Lumos. Yeah. yeah, where it's like I can teach you wandless magic, and then we can do magic with our wands. <laughs> 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 but that, that was a great the same. thing emotional journey is this which somebody else here has put as a dot point which is i'll touch your cock but how dare you try to kiss me (laughs) (laughs) that was me because this is one of my favorites for gays being fucking idiots yes (laughs) you're a fucking idiot i mean i don't think he really likes me he's just using me for sex and also like hugs which is fine because i'm totally also just <laughs> using him for sex i don't have feelings that is the no. great thing about harry being an oblivious dick and also yes. the narrator because you yeah. just have him being oh this is fine it's just sex until you get to another of my favorite tropes which is the hurt comfort with attractively swooning draco oh, where harry's like oh no i might have some feelings possibly <laughs> doing something noble and losing access to his magic and harry realizing oh Maybe he's not an evil Death Eater anymore. See, but my particular favorite moment of this trope is when it's like the first time that Draco swoons and Harry is like super suspicious paranoid and he's like, is this a ruse? Is he attempting to trick us with this fainting damsel display? What sort of creepy nonsense? I mean, look, you can't hold that against him given that Draco literally did that in the books with like, oh no, this big hippogriff is like slightly scratched me. I'm calling daddy. Uh, but okay, I think though, going back to one of my other questions, which was why was Harry Draco such a big thing? I think that this combination of the canon oblivious Harry attention seeking Draco thing makes it so easy to read queer into the text. Like, yeah. we're not like fucking around yeah. from no evidence here. Is this the same ship as Wei Wuxian and Lan Wanji? No. No. No, no. I, I know that you want you things no to be way. the same ship as that, but it's not. <laughs> it's not even okay. remotely, because those two no. pledge their lives to each other repeatedly. Yeah. They yeah. just don't know. Like it's it's just idiots. it's the oblivious. Because they're oblivious idiots, right? Yeah, oblivious idiots and like attention seeking. No, no. Be- Wang being Xian... oblivious is like the secondary queer trait next to not being able to sit on a fucking chair. Yeah. Right. I think if you took the obliviousness of this tri- ship and then like dumped it on top of Kirk Spock, then you might get. Mm, mm. Yeah, new Kirk Spock, where they're mm. actually enemies. Like the fucking idiot. Anyway, that's. Version. Anyway, diversion. <laughs> that's three generations of amazing <laughs> core ships. Talk about grief and future fic and yes. the dark side of this fic. Yes, because like many fics, this is one that is set after a war. And I think no matter when you were writing any time, you knew that the books were heading for a great yeah. showdown war of some kind. Mm-hmm. And so if you were writing fic that was set in the future, it was usually either mid-war or immediately post-war. And so you right. had to make decisions as a fan writer as to who would have survived and who didn't and what kind of grief or trauma are the main characters wrestling with at this point. The, there's this quote that I pulled um, about grief, uh, which was Harry thinking that only a child thought that blood could be owed and repaid like a borrowed quill. Blood just was, wasn't it? The living had it, and the dead didn't, and the only thing it was good for was being alive. 
And that's Harry thinking about the people who had died during the war and died after the war, which he'd been refusing to confront for five years mm-hmm. by running away. Massive PTSD from Harry in this fic. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty good at addressing the fact that all of them have some degree of PTSD. Or trauma, like, at least. Or trauma, yeah, of some kind. Because they were all teenagers, basically child soldiers who fought in this this horrible war and saw dozens of their friends die right in front of them. Hmm. And I, the and book, sometimes have the, to kill their friends. And sometimes have to kill their friends, right. And so the fic does a better job of addressing that than the canon did. Yeah, well, I mean, the canon takes us up to the point of immediate aftermath and then mm-hmm. gives us an epilogue that is so far in the future that we just have to make an assumption that everything has been yeah. worked through and is it's now happy and rosy. And vague. It's, it's yeah. so... It doesn't give you any... Uh, the, the canon doesn't didn't give us any acknowledgement that this stuff hurt in the long run. It does in the immediate aftermath of each death, but yeah. like yeah. the epilogue, just everything is hunky-dory and nobody is long-term affected by it. Mm. I mean, I think right. Half-Blood Prince did show like the immediate rawness and not dealingness of Sirius's death for right. Harry. And it showed it showed a lot of what Draco was going through. That was the beginning of Draco's redemption because you see like how worn down he is and how like he's going through some immediate trauma responses hmm. of like what is going on in his immediate surroundings. Like, oh my god, I don't know if actually I'm on the right side after all. Yeah, you're right. This fic, the display of, or no, the portrayal of PTSD in Harry shows that he has been away for some time and the distance on the one hand has done him some good. He has clearly found some peace and come to terms with some aspects of what has happened. But he still has an unreliable and almost missing memory of Mm. certain parts of what happened in the war that he has not processed at all and he refused to open any letters from anyone at home when he was in america so on the one hand he has found some peace and happiness but he has done it at the cost of shutting off a door to what happened and refusing to process it and i think one of the things that was hugely effective for me in this fic was um that several of the important key deaths occur after the war occur Mm -hmm. as a result of the mines or of other things Uh, Mm -hmm. so Sirius dies trying to re-enter Hogwarts after the fact Um, and there's a small child who dies the first time they try to reopen Hogwarts Um, and it's just the pointlessness of these Mm -hmm. deaths that continue after you've quote-unquote won Mm. and so somebody's put a dot point here about the the use of mines in specific. Mm. And so, you know, the idea of, yes, yeah, small children stepping on mines and being right. killed in the aftermath of an active conflict is not something that is new, but it's not also, it's also not very European. <laughs> well, it actually is rather yeah. than American. It's very un-American. Okay. Um, and so it doesn't appear very much in a lot of western media that is more american focused but like you go anywhere in europe and you're finding unexploded ammunition from world war one and two. Oh yeah all the time all the time um the concept that you can turn around and suddenly stumble over the aftermath um find a gun find some bones find a helmet in your back garden when you're digging a pond is just part of how we 
um, interact with the memory of war. And that is not yeah. the case in America. And it's right, not precisely the had... case in England as much. But like I grew up in Luxembourg for four years, which was right on the border between Belgium and France where the Germans were crossing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we had one of the biggest military cemeteries in Europe for the Americans was uh, 10 miles down the road from me. And so yeah. it's just kind of physically there, even if you're not talking about mm. it. I mean, this story does right. play some importance on physical war memorial. Mm-hmm. Like one of the, what is meant to be the big cathartic thing for Harry near the end of the fic is that he creates a memorial right. to his parents and to other people who died in the war. And it is a physical action of creation. Like he is making a bench and a fountain and a place that people can sit and remember. Uh, yeah. And saying that sometimes it is important that you have a place, a physical mark on the landscape that is not death dealing. The physical mark is not something that's going to kill someone, but it's saying this happened and this is how I'm choosing to remember people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, because for so long he's been refusing to remember anyone. Mm. And so he he confronts that and comes to deal with it. Do you want to talk about the poppy? Well, I guess... So Harry Harry places a poppy for a few people, and um, the poppy is not a generic memorial to someone who dies in war. No, it's not. The poppy is a very specific... um, This is in Flanders fields where poppies grow, um, you know. Yeah. It's it's very specific. Um, So that was a little bit of a note where I'm like, ah, I see that you are not English, author. (laughs) But uh, you tried. Yeah. Mm. Is there anything else we wanted to say about the story itself? I must admit, I really Uh... liked the fucking in the greenhouse scene. If anybody (laughs) has any thoughts on that. (laughs) Macy, you have read like every fanfic in existence at this point. Do you have any other favorite Terry Draco fics? Uh, there was a point where I used to read through just all of the Rex lists because Harry Draco was fairly reliably long. Mm-hmm. Like and when that was the... what was important for Macy's. Yeah, <laughs> Baby Macy's. I was really bored with school. And right, you were busy misspending your youth. <laughs> I was busy misspending. I was busy misspending my youth. No, um, I have. I mean, this one actually does have an attached misspent youth story, but we don't need to get into that. Um, <laughs> Why I not? Did... <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> not been that long, just because I didn't record the one I've already told you today. Um, okay. <laughs> no. So, does anyone else remember the fic Eclipse? No. Vaguely, it sounds familiar. What was it about? So this is the one where, if I remember rightly, um, Draco kidnaps Harry and takes him back to the Death Eaters to prove himself um, Mm -hmm. and then comes to realise that what Voldemort is going to do like drain Harry's life force to power himself is kind of pathetic and gross and wrong and so frees Harry and they end up going on the run in the wilderness for a hundred thousand words incredible I don't remember that Harry is like cursed in some way or maybe like slightly dying and like everything is awful and they're like trying to eat and it keeps raining on them and it's just like it's but it's actually good camping unlike the last Harry Potter book which is (laughs) good shitty camping camping. yeah yeah because they're falling in love during the camping so it's for something (laughs) that's really what you want camping for really like I mean it's like it's like Av's book with the skiing bit Oh, oh, yes. yes. Uh, it's now called A Winter's Orbit, is what it's called now. It's good. Uh, it's space skiing and falling in love in the mountains. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. 
Uh, I had another point that I was about to make. Oh, eh, it's, I mean, I guess kind of a war campaign is sort of like camping, except it often ends up being more like glamping, you know, glamorous <laughs> camping, because like it? someone, the prince generally has a very large fancy tent. Yes, I am thinking of Captive Prince, yeah, I was which is say. basically, <laughs> which no, is like, basically camping, but then they fall in love. <laughs> listen, if you are going on campaign with fucking it's right there. It's Alexander like camp- the Great. <laughs> if yeah. you are going on campaign with Alexander the Great, unless you are Alexander the Great, you're not having a good time. It's not glamping for the foot soldier with the 18-foot spear. <laughs> Is that another t-shirt that we're never going to get around to making, Macy? <laughs> I just have, like, Alexander the Great has a lot of good t-shirts in him. That's all I'm saying. He honestly does. Also a chalky dick. But, um... <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> Look, I will agree boyfriend? that I the whole point of camping is bedrolls and tents. Yeah. Yeah. Huddling yeah. for warmth. Huddling for warmth, yeah. Huddling for warmth. There's only one bedroll. Yeah, exactly. Lisa, what was it that you said? Was that a... I can't... Was I that... couldn't remember the right name of Alexander the Great's boyfriend who he, like, oh, rage quit when um, he died. Starts with an H. <laughs> uh, no, that was the, that's, a, that's a spear god. That's not who I want. Anyway, our darling scribes will look it up and write it down for us because they love us. And we haven't said the word bureaucracy even once this episode, so that's not <laughs> unusual right now. <laughs> Uh, it's a Feiston, isn't it? Yes. No. 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 That's the god. That's the god who married, uh, who was not very pretty, but married the goddess of love anyway, with the volcano. No, I'm pretty sure his name is Hephaestus, the guy um, who was Alexander's uh, friend, in quotation marks, <laughs> like his general. Hey. Uh, yes. Yes, you're right. I just, I just googled it. Uh, Hephaestus. He was, quote, by far the dearest of all the king's friends. He had been brought up with Alexander and shared all his secrets. Unless you were talking about Bagoas, uh, Macy, who was Alexander's pet Persian twink. (laughs) I'm fairly sure I was not. Shall we talk about you two's favorite Harry Draco fix? Yes. When when we were thinking about other formative Harry Dracos, I remembered the name Tissue of Silver as being a very famous and formative one but i couldn't remember anything about it so i went onto fan mm. to look it up and apparently this was one of the original uh aura harry is called oh. in for a case that involves mm. draco and this is about again draco being a defector from the dark lord's army who is now has made a lot of enemies and needs to be protected and it's about oh, no. harry being a super bodyguard aura and coming in and protecting him and then falling love in love that. and probably some leather pants at some point but my Draco's leather i've never pants. actually oh. seen harry draco in leather pants other than like referentially i think tissue of silver actually did have leather pants what the fuck from memory. title is tissue of silver though but my favorite ones of all were maya's fix which are unfortunately yes. no longer freely available on the internet uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is the one where Harry is part Villa, oh, that- uh, yes. and they are yes. working as Aura partners, and everybody suddenly wants to get in Harry's pants because he is part Villa, and he doesn't know how to deal with it because he refuses to have sex with anybody unless he is in love, and mm-hmm. he is in love with Draco, and it's all a big mess. And the other one- <laughs> I loved that fit, that and is, I think it was- 
great. I think it was very much in conversation with a- All of the Draco Vila ones? All of the Draco Vila things, right? Which was more of a trope at the time. Like, like that seemed to be the kind of go-to thing for if someone was going to be part Vila. In fairness, the Vilas have like a particular way that they look. Mm. Yeah. Which is blonde and twinky. Yeah, exactly. That's Draco all over. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so I, th- I thought it was a very interesting kind of conversation to have with the, the fandom. Yep. Yeah. And the other uh, one of Maya's was If You've Already Mind, which is more of a set at Hogwarts AU where Draco gets sorted into Ravenclaw and that changes the entire course of the books. And that was one yes. that covers the entire event of canon from first and year yeah, through seventh year. But how are things different if he was in Ravenclaw instead? Man, yeah. I feel like also I just had so many Harry Draco fix saved on ff.net and half of them they never finished. They were just like kind of writing along merrily and they didn't really have a plan. I remember mm. one where like they were cursed to have to play chess against each other or maybe like Dumbledore made them play chess to make up after something and it was magic chess and then they fell in love and there were so many where they were like cursed to mentally communicate with each other or like yeah. supply yeah. soulmate curses and man what a fandom yeah what a fandom we what a like, fandom the, the harry potter fandom really was doing the most and <laughs> doing so much yes and i think keep at it yeah. like there is still stuff being made now even more yes. like unabashedly and loudly queer and saying fuck the creator this is what we're here for and yeah, I am very much in favor everything. of that. The author is dead. Uh, the author d- never knew what she was talking about, <laughs> never knew what she had. Um, yeah, I really think, like, the author is dead is a valuable sort of thing to remember. And I think that, like, in the age of social media that we have now, where we are so much closer to the authors of the works that we love, we get to, like, see them, we get to see their motivations, we get to, in some cases, unfortunately learn way too much about their personalities, uh, and that can ruin our enjoyment of things. Um, so I'm, I would love to see us get back to, like, a, a situation of the author is dead. I will say one thing, though. I think that it is valuable to have the context in order to pay attention to what has gone into the canon and realise what we need to clean out. Yes, yes. Both things can be true, I think. Yes. Um, so yes, we are three red-headed Slytherin fantasy authors, and we yeah. hope that you've enjoyed our yelling today. Re- go, go reclaim some shit from problematic creators who don't deserve it. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. And if you haven't read this one, we recommend it as a great place to start. <clears throat> Good night, darling listeners. Good night. Good night. Hello everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. If you did stick around to listen to us chew over this fic and the Harry Potter fandom in general, I hope you found this cathartic as well as entertaining. Harry Draco as a pairing has a special niche in my heart because once as a wee baby 16-year-old just discovering online fandom, I took, in all seriousness, a quiz entitled Which HP Slash Ship Are You?, before I actually knew what the word slash meant. And Harry Draco was the answer. I stand by that. I think that quiz with its photoshopped result banner really got a good glimpse at my soul. So for the next episode, two weeks hence on July 29th, we've got a fantastically tropey one lined up for you. So follow that red string of fate, or maybe fight against it, as we discuss soul bonds, soul marks, and soulmates in general. 
One of the tent poles is the novella Mating the Huntress by Talia Hibbert, if you'd like to get some reading done early. And if you have any friends who've been known to dip their toes into the soul bond tag on AO3, maybe give them a heads up too. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? As ever, you can get in touch with us at serpentcast at gmail.com, and we're at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. Or come and join the fan Discord community, which is linked on the About the Show page of the podcast website. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash serpentcast. Or please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes so we can continue to reach new listeners. And by the way, you, dear listener, are worth more than the flaws of your childhood heroes. I hope you can transfigure them into something good.